I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Yusuf Ozdalga, partner of QED Investors, with uh, focus on the UK and EU. I want to start, Yusuf, if I may, by asking you quite simply what you look for in an investment. Yeah, I mean, we, we look for um, founders that are looking to disrupt financial technology. And uh, in the early days of QED, which was 14 years ago now, we fintech was not a term. So we said we use, we use the term companies in financial services that use data to compete and win. Obviously, data and data analysis is big for us, but there's many other ways to use technology too in today's world. So companies use that in financial services is what we look for. So you were looking at fintech before it was fintech. What's your view on the fintech investment arena now? QED was founded by Nigel Morris, who was a co-founder of Capital One. And in many ways, Visa, MasterCard were fintechs of their time. And in the 90s, I would say that Capital One was probably the most prominent fintech. Back then, a lot of us were at Capital One at QED, thankfully not all of us. And back then, we actually used data mining to disrupt both banks and the entire consumer finance industry. So we see it as going in waves. Today's wave is very different from what happened in the 70s and 80s. It's different than the 90s. So now we're in the 20s, believe it or not. Time certainly flies. And there's different technologies being applied differently, but there's certain things that do not change, and that's what we look for. Well, let's look at your investments. Obviously, the the most recent one, I guess, is Wayflyer, which raised $150 million in total, is now a unicorn. What stood out about Wayflyer? Wayflyer is a very special uh, investment uh, for us on many regards. It's in Ireland, the number six unicorn, but it's the first company to reach that unicorn status so fast. So it's the fastest to arrive at that benchmark. And there's a lot of things that stood out. Great founders, very complimentary founders, repeat founders that are really entrepreneurial, very humble, combining being humble with being very ambitious. All those great things one would look for as a VC, including a big TAM, ability to expand internationally and so on. But beyond all that, what was really interesting was that Wayflyer had a different lens of seeing SMEs. So clearly they target e-commerce merchants. So if you are a e-commerce company, they target you and give you a lot of tools to help you attract customers. And then once you've hit a good mine of attractive sales momentum, they help fund future customer acquisitions so you can grow faster. So, so they do all that with a different lens that banks don't have. So to make that more concrete, most banks looking at Wayflyer's customers would decline them for a loan because there's not enough corporate history. They're seen as being risky and so on. Wayflyer, on the other hand, is able to use a new lens that has real-time data, real-time marketing results. They know the profitability of the product that the e-commerce merchant is selling in real time, which is something the bank cannot see. And by having that technology, they can do the same lending decision where a bank would have said no, yet their losses, and this is what's really interesting to us, is actually order of magnitude lower than the losses of the bank. So they do this with virtually zero losses, usually 10, 20 bips of losses. So that's that was really remarkable to us. You mentioned there they're one of Ireland's fastest unicorns, if not the fastest. Are you not at all concerned about some of the valuations? And I'm not talking about Wayflyer, I'm talking more broadly within the fintech investment arena. Are you not bothered that some of the valuations are getting a little bit out of hand? Yeah, no, the valuations are definitely getting higher and higher, which is a challenge, especially as we look to do new investments. 
So there's two lenses for this. One is as we look for a new investment, the price we have to pay to enter is getting higher, which is a problem. For existing companies, the price keeps getting higher, which is if you've invested already, kind of is a good thing. But then the risk is what if that valuation drops? And one thing we tell our companies is that markets may be very volatile, but the best immunization against market volatility is the vaccine of solid unit economics and a strong culture. In other words, if you focus on your fundamentals and have strong unit economics, a solid business case, build a great culture with great people, then the markets may go up and down, but the chances that you will survive go up exponentially. What we haven't seen so far is we haven't seen maturity in a lot of investments because there's been an avalanche of investment in fintech. I mean, last year, for example, $1 in five in private equity and venture capital went into fintech, 20% of all investments into fintech. Are people in danger of forgetting that lots of these companies are statistically going to fail? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, markets and investors tend to go into a risk on or a risk off sort of mode. And those cycles can fluctuate on a short term basis. And there's bigger cycles that go over years, if not decades. And I think some investors forget it, perhaps, as you say, but we cannot really worry about that ourselves. We just focus on our fundamentals and look for these companies that are fundamentally sound, have strong unit economics. At, at QD, we, we pride ourselves in the fact that we don't really chase the latest trend per se. We don't look at what other funds are doing and trying to copy that. We actually look at our fundamentals, unit economics, culture, good team, and then we go for it. Now, in a market such as this, sometimes we have to pay more than we would have five years ago. That may impact our returns. So if it, if it was gonna be a 30X return, it may be a 20X return. But nonetheless, if we end up with the right companies, we think we'll deliver value to both the founders and our investors over time. Tell me a little bit more about the background of QED itself. You mentioned it came out of Capital One. That's correct. So QED was set up uh, by Nigel Morris um, and Frank Rotman was a co-founder as well uh, back in 2008, 2009, that time frame. And the idea, as I mentioned earlier, was to help companies that use data to compete. But it really meant was help companies that were setting out on a similar journey as Capital One had been, which is to disrupt financial services using technology. And there was a few things that we brought to the table that we think differentiated us. For example, we did less deals per partner, which meant that we could spend more time with each company. We are hyper-focused on verticals we know really well. So if we don't think we're going to add value to a company, we do not invest, even though it may be a great investment opportunity. We tend to be very authentic and really you know, try to build a very special relationship with our founders that's trusted, like a trusted advisor. And when you add all these up, we kind of differentiated ourselves a little bit, I think, in the marketplace. Today, there's more and more funds that focus on fintech that are specialized. But back in those days, there really weren't that many. As I said earlier, fintech was not even a term. So we've been at this for quite a long time, which obviously builds up a legacy of experience, which we can then lever in our new investments and help our founders. How much demand are you seeing from investors? Looking at it, the other, we've been talking about who you invest in, the kind of investments you make. How enthused are investors still about fintech? No, we see a lot of enthusiasm. I've talked with three LPs in the course of the last 10 days for various reasons. And there is a lot of interest in fintech. Obviously, LPs have a very different perspective than we do. We're very focused on fintech founders and delivering value to them. And in so doing, also helping our LPs. 
LPs have to allocate assets across geographies, investment classes. So they will watch the market a bit more. And I would say they will think about different uh, asset classes in terms of how to deploy their funds, whether it's a foundation or a pension fund or whatever else it may be. So they have a different perspective. And yeah, I mean, they do pay attention to what's happening in the market, but they do certainly agree that fintech as an asset class or as a vertical is not going to go away. VC as an asset class is only going to keep growing. There may be turbulence along the way, but the fundamentals are very strong. I mean, I've heard some people say there's a, you know, not just once in a generation, but maybe once in a hundred year transformation taking place in financial services. And certainly, I don't know if it's once in a hundred years, but there is a very sizable transformation happening, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. You brought me on to the subject I wanted to talk about next, the transformation in financial services. It is true that things are changing far more quickly now than they have done, and I would agree with you, in 100 years. Do you have a sense of the shape of the industry five or 10 years down the track? Because looking at your time horizon as as an investor, as a manager of funds that are being invested in fintech, you must have, I guess, a five to 10 year exit strategy for what you're investing. Do you have an idea of how the industry itself is going to look at that point? Yeah, yes and no. It's it's not an easy question to answer. But as venture capitalists, we, we definitely value pattern recognition. So it, it's useful to draw um, examples from other industries that were disrupted before fintech and financial services. So e-commerce and retail may be one such example. So in the 90s, if you recall, there was a lot of big retailers, and then all the dot-coms came along and disrupted that. And it's not like uh, brick-and-mortar retail has gone away, but it's also not like it's been disrupted. So if you take Amazon uh, as one example, Walmart is still here. On the other hand, Walmart has had to adapt to the practices of Amazon. And more importantly, Walmart is here, but Kmart and Sears and so on that could not keep up are not here in the same shape they used to be in the 90s. So same with fintechs and banks, I think. I do believe the big banks that are uh, have, have good balance sheets, strong capital positions, and that are able to invest in technology will still be here in 10 years, much like Walmart is. But the ones that cannot keep up, cannot invest, uh, and cannot compete with fintechs and these larger banks will uh, start, well, either getting acquired or disappearing. Yusuf Ozdalga, partner of QED Investors, thank you very much.